Spotlights is a series of online events and publications focusing on a particular group of victims and survivors who are often hidden from services. As part of our Spotlight on Homelessness and Domestic Abuse, my colleague Judith met with Jane Anderson, Service Manager for Housing Choice in Swinton. Jane has been working in the housing sector since 1993 and has established herself as an expert on the local authorities' statutory responsibilities to victims and survivors who have been made homeless because of domestic abuse. In her interview, she provides vital information and guidance for practitioners to effectively advocate for their clients when seeking housing support. Hi Jane, um, thanks very much for joining me today to talk about homelessness and domestic abuse. Thank you. Um, so we just want to understand a little bit more about the local authorities' duties to, to homelessness. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about what exactly is the local authorities' responsibility to people who are forced to leave their home because they're fleeing domestic abuse? Yeah, so when somebody um, presents as homeless, the first thing that the local authority will do is to check that a homelessness application has been triggered. Mm -hmm. And that means that they have to have reason to believe that they're homeless. And as soon as they have that, then legally they have to start an assessment. Um, and the assessment is basically five questions. So are you eligible, which is about immigration status? Are you homeless? Do you have a priority need? Are you intentionally homeless? And then we can, if we choose, look at local connection. So the first thing that we would do is establish um, immigration status, and then we would look at homeless. If somebody says that they've had to leave their accommodation because of violence, that automatically triggers a homelessness application because it's not reasonable for them to occupy their accommodation. Mm -hmm. If they have dependent children or they're pregnant, they automatically have a priority need. So at that point, the local authority's obligation is to offer temporary accommodation if it's needed. Okay. And to continue to provide that until they've reached a decision on the application. Mm -hmm. The application, the decision on the application must be made in writing. So the applicant must get a written decision at some point and the guideline is that that's within 33 working days of their application. Mm. If the applicant doesn't have dependent children or is pregnant then we have to assess whether or not they are vulnerable. Okay. Um, there was a Supreme Court judgment in May 2015 um, and the names were Hotak, Kanu and Johnson and that redefined the vulnerability test that local authorities must use and it actually lowered the bar so it made it easier for single people to be deemed to be vulnerable and okay. therefore in priority need and then they too have access to temporary accommodation. So that's really useful to know, I think that's a, a really key case for people to look at isn't it? Um, so. If we're thinking about numbers, I mean, how how prevalent do you think that this this problem is? Um, 
in terms of homelessness for, fleeing, for people fleeing domestic abuse? The figures that, lo that central government collect mm -hmm. um, for many, many years showed domestic abuse as being in the top three reasons for acceptance. Um, in the last few years, it's dropped to fourth. That isn't because the numbers being accepted due to domestic abuse have dropped. Mm -hmm. It's because other reasons have overtaken it. Okay. Um, the numbers have remained fairly consistent and nationally um, we're looking at about 2,400, 500 households a year accepted as homeless. However, what the govern government statistics don't show is mm. the numbers who present yeah. and are not found to have a priority need. So it's accepted that they're homeless, that yeah. they've had to leave because mm -hmm. of domestic abuse, but they're not included in the national figures because they're not what are called statutory homeless households because they don't meet the full criteria for that. So it's really difficult to know the f full picture then really, isn't it? Because that, that excludes those who aren't, who aren't pregnant, aren't, uh, don't have dependent children, yeah. and who may not fit that vulnerability definition. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that, um, would it be fair to say that, I think those statistics kind of tell us the answer to this, but that local authorities um, don't tend to fill their um, obligations when it comes to um, that level of homelessness, the, the domestic abuse and homelessness? I think the difficulty is around that definition of vulnerability yeah. Yeah. and previously, previous to the Supreme Court judgment, um, it was extremely difficult. Mm. Basically, mm. Um, you had to prove that you were more vulnerable than the most vulnerable. Gosh. Which, yes. you know, yeah. by definition you can't do it. Yeah. Um, because the comparison that we had to make was we had to assume that the applicant was a rough sleeper and then compare them to another rough sleeper and say why are you worse off okay the supreme court judgment said that that is the wrong comparison that the comparison should be with an ordinary person right okay so before yeah. it was an ordinary homeless person right. now they're saying it's an ordinary person okay um so it's easier yeah. to be deemed to be vulnerable. Mm. And that's where, if you have additional issues, um, such as a disability, mm -hmm. uh, mental or physical health issues, um, substance, substance misuse, yeah. um, you know, if, if English isn't your first language, mm. all those additional issues, and um, that's where they really, um, become important in terms of assessing a person's vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely. Is there kind of um, anything that, that we could help frontline practitioners now use to challenge local authorities if they're not going to fulfil their duties? Yeah, it, it, the common um, accusation, if you like, is that local authorities gatekeep. That's yeah. the term yes. that's used. Yeah. And gatekeeping refers to the unlawful practice of preventing someone from making a homelessness application. Um, 
there are lots of reasons why that might happen. Um, lack of training is one, mm -hmm. um, that people actually don't realise that what they're doing is wrong because they've not had training. Um, budgets have been cut hugely for local authorities in the last few years. Training is always one of the first things to go. Yes. So yeah. um, I'm not excusing the behaviour, but you know mm -hmm. there, there is um, some explanation about that. Um, a lot of local authorities are also under pressure just to keep their figures down because it doesn't look good for one and because it's expensive. If we accept that somebody is homeless and has a priority need, we have to provide temporary accommodation. Yes. Yeah. And if, as in some areas, a lot of your temporary accommodation is being decommissioned, then you become reliant on B&B. B and B is very expensive. Yes. Yeah. Um, so there is there is um, undoubtedly um, pressure. Mm -hmm. um, when um, the Supreme Court judgment was um, was published, the judges specifically made the comment that lack of resources is not a reason to prevent people from making homelessness applications because there was an acknowledgement mm. there that, that that's, yeah. that's why it's happening. Um, in terms of challenging it, I think one of the really important things is to, um, to appreciate the difference between being told that um, you haven't triggered a homeless application okay. and that you are not homeless. They are two, okay. in law, very different things. Okay. Because to trigger an application, they have to have reason to believe that you're homeless. If they say, if you're told, normally at triage, you haven't triggered an application, they don't have to take an application. Right. If they tell you you're not homeless, they've made a decision on your homeless application and you must get that in writing. In writing, so that you can challenge that. And then you can challenge the decision. So it's being very aware of the difference between yes. not yeah. triggering, being told you haven't, you know, you don't meet the criteria for a mm -hmm. homeless application, and being told you're not homeless. That's the decision. I would always still ask for it. Mm -hmm. And if they say it's because you're not homeless, Yes. Then you ask for your section 184 yeah. decision letter because not homeless is a decision. There is, um, there is also um, some guidance issued by the Department for Communities and Local Government um, and it's the supplementary guidance on domestic abuse and homelessness. I think Safe Lives have put it on Moodle. I would actually recommend any advert, just carry it around with them. Yeah. It sets out the definition, which we're required to use, which is the cross-government department mm -hmm. definition. So it quite clearly states it doesn't just need to be physical abuse, it can be any other form of abuse. Um, it sets out what our duties are around providing accommodation and the suitability of that accommodation. Um, what prevention work we can do um, about not requiring proof. It's just yes. really um, 
plainly worded, easy to understand guide to what a local authority's duties are when responding to domestic abuse. So it's really useful just to be able to show to your triage yeah. officer and says, yes. actually the guidance here says, says, and it's in writing. And the guidance isn't, it's not statute, um, so it's not legally binding, but we have to have regard to it. Absolutely. Um, I think one thing that you've really sort of made clear is that how important it is to have an advocate with you, but the reality is many, many people don't have access to an advocate to go with them. What do you think we can do to reach out and help those people who may not have that kind of advocacy available to them? I think in those situations, even if the advocate is not able to um, accompany yes. the client, yeah. um, for me it's about building your relationship mm -hmm. with your homelessness service and if your advocate can't accompany, maybe providing information beforehand. Yeah. Um, what we often find is that people will withhold information that they think will put them in a bad light, if you like. Yes, um, yeah. That they think will make them um, less likely to receive mm -hmm. a service. And actually for homelessness it's the opposite. So if you have uh, an issue with substance misuse or you have a mental health problem, mm -hmm. yeah. it actually helps you if we know about that. Yeah. But we accept that for a lot of people it's really difficult to talk about that as it is just about the abuse in general. So if, the advert, if there's some um, arrangement whereby mm -hmm. IDFAs can provide information to say this client will be presenting here's some background information, yeah. um, then that is something that could help. Local authorities have to, um, it, you know, we're bound by, by the Equalities Act mm -hmm. um, and my own authority has, has been in court recently, a county court appeal, um, and pretty much lost the case on our failure to comply with the Equalities Act in regard to someone's disability. Right. Um, so okay. we we have to um, acknowledge it in our decision letters that we've taken it into account. Mm -hmm. um, and the Homelessness Code of Guidance, the General Code of Guidance, does say that um, our services must be designed uh, to meet the needs of everyone. Um, so yeah. that can include things like doing home visits, um, doing hospital visits, um, doing telephone assessments. There isn't actually a requirement for a homelessness assessment to be face-to-face. -face. Okay. Um, it doesn't need to be. Um, right. So you could do it over the telephone. Yeah. Um, we have actually set up an arrangement with our RID for service whereby um, anyone who um, their case is heard at Marac and the action from Marac is that they should be rehoused, we have a system whereby we don't interview them. Their IDFA 
will send that information to us. We have an officer at Marac anyway. Yes, yeah. Um, so that information would be picked up and we would take a homelessness application on the basis of the information taken from Marac. Right, okay. Because we don't need anything. That's a multi-agency mm -hmm. information sharing. That's the yeah. purpose of that of that meeting so we don't need anything further than that and if it's an action from Marac then we would accept that that easily puts somebody uh, within the criteria of requiring rehousing. Mm -hmm. um, and priority need or? Yes, yes. so they would get, if, if, if the action from Marac is um, this person needs rehousing then they would be awarded full duty statutory right. Okay. Yeah. That's an incredibly useful, I think, piece of information because I think in other areas that would really help them, you know, improve the response from housing in their local areas. So that's something that people can think about. Um, that's great. So um, just thinking as we kind of come to the close, how do you feel that local authorities could improve and change the services they offer to um, homeless? I think. It works. There's work at all levels that can yeah. be done. So if you start at very operational level, just building the relationships between IDFA services and between yes. homelessness services, I know they could be quite adversarial. Yes. <laughs> and I think what what both services need to be is is centred on the needs of the client mm -hmm. and and. We have worked quite hard um, in, in my authority to develop those relationships and um, so we have done things around um, job shadowing um, our workers will go and spend a day with IDFAs, mm -hmm. IDFAs have come and, and spent time um, with, with our team so you both appreciate yes. what others roles are at the next level up, that's fine if you've got your cooperation between your workers, mm -hmm. but that needs to be reflected at management level. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, we, as I said, the example of actions from Marac, we don't, um, we don't take, we don't require them to come in to make a homeless application. No. So that was something that was agreed by managers, um, kind of taking it up a level again. Um, I think there's there's work that needs to be done strategically particularly now when there's so much competition for funding I think it's really important that services work together and don't compete yes so particularly um, you know this is one of the things that um, we've discussed at our um, domestic abuse board is about pots of funding and then discovering that different people around the table have put in individual bids mm. rather than working together yes. uh, to say what what do we need as a whole yes what can we deliver in a coordinated way and and to do bids in that way and um, being part of each other's strategic groups yes. so i chair our um homelessness strategy mm -hmm. monitoring group and um, for me, it's really important that I have somebody representing um, domestic abuse services on that. Yes. Um, so they get their input yes. as well as services. Similarly, I sit on their board. Um, so you, you, 
it's a bit more of a strategic approach and it's about supporting each other and about understanding if you cut this service here it impacts on this service over here so absolutely um you know things like yeah. for example um sanctuary scheme um if you cut our sanctuary scheme it impacts on um you know this client group here this now means that rather than people being able to stay in their own home they're going to have to make a homeless application so it sounds like very much like you've got um a really good uh, model up here where you do um all of those strategic um collaborative working and you, you you're making those changes and if we could just sort of encourage other local authorities to perhaps do the same it would be it would be really good thank you very much um for your time jane i think some really useful um pieces of advice and information in there and certainly some signposting for frontline advocates that they can they can go to so thank you for your time thank you Thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about Safe Lives Spotlight on domestic abuse and homelessness, please go to our website, safelives.org.uk, where we will be uploading new content every week from different experts between the 7th of August through to the 15th of September. And we want to hear from you. We need your views, experiences and practice and tips. So join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag SafeAtHome and get involved on the Safe Lives community. Thank you.